Hey friends, welcome to the Collide Midweek Podcast. These episodes are recorded every Wednesday night at our midweek gathering for those of you who may have missed it or just want to hear it again. We hope that the following episode encourages you to know, grow, and go in your faith. Um, hey, welcome to Collide. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey friend, come on, say it like you mean it. Y'all can do better than that. Hey, we got like rows that are missing, so we need to do something about this. I need this room packed next week. Here's what's cool. You guys don't know this, but Collide is on mission tonight. Collide is mobile tonight. All of the 12th grade guys, with the exception of a few guys that, that came tonight, have gone to watch Garrett Law in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe at Rockingham High School. So Collide is on the move tonight, and that's pretty cool to see a whole small group go over there to support him. And uh, man, we love you guys. We're thankful that you're here. Have you had a good week thus far? Yeah? All right, get your sermon outlines out. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Get your chips open, whatever you're going to drink, get that open. Okay, we can't have any distractions during the sermon. All right, put your phones up. Something cool we're going to introduce next week, hopefully, if you're listening, look up here, is, I don't know about you guys, but on Sundays, I love when Pastor Steve is preaching, I have my Bible open, and then I have the Bible app open to the event at Osborne Baptist Church, and it's the sermon notes digitally that I fill in my notes, and then I email to myself at the end of the service. No paper. So one thing we're going to try next week is we're going to have a digital outline for you guys on the Version Bible app. So if you like taking your notes digitally, you can click on that. We'll have an event. It'll say Collide High School Ministry. So we're probably going to test that out next week. Now, that's no excuse for you to be on your phone more. Guys, if you're talking in the back, I need you guys to focus, okay? You're not here for me, and you're not here for basketball and snacks. You're here to hear from Almighty God, all right? Let's lock in, and let's get serious. But next week, we're going to do a little test run with that and see how you guys like it. Um, For those of you guys that like taking notes digitally. Cool. Hey, what is the greatest selling, the number one greatest selling book of all time? What is it? Come on, say it louder like you mean it. The Bible. Why? Why is the Bible the greatest selling book of all time? Y'all been to the bookstore. My daughter, Mallory, loves some Barnes and Noble and loves going to the bookstore, loves book. Any book readers in the house? Y'all just love it. KB's got a problem. Can y'all pray for me? My wife's like, please pray for him. I start a book and I read a chapter and then I put it on my nightstand, right? So my nightstand has 12 books right now, right? I just read a chapter and then I'm like, yeah, all right, I'm going on to the next book. So I really need to, KB's got a problem. I'm being transparent. I'm being open, all right? Thank you, Jake, for praying for me, is I need some help with this. KB needs to finish a book when he starts it. But here's one book that captivates my heart every time I open it. And it's the Bible, the Word of God. Don't y'all think it's amazing that God wrote a book? That should never get old. The fact that Almighty God wrote a book and we get to open it up every single day. Guys, I'm fired up, man. I love the Bible. I want you to love the Bible. I want teenagers to bring their Bible. I want you to highlight it. I want you to underline it. I want you to read it on your Instagram page. I want you to just be in love with this book that you want the world to know about it. And you want to know more about it. Why? Why is it the number one selling book of all time? Because of the author. Because God wrote a book and we get to read his thoughts, his love, his heart for you, the stories in the Bible that are amazing. We've been talking about this, right? Last week or last series we did in the beginning, we started right in Genesis. And tonight we're going to pick up in the next book of the Bible called Exodus. But the story continues 
every time you pick it up, it's like, man, I want to see what happens next. Well, I hope you feel that way tonight because remember we ended, Micah ended a few weeks ago at the end of Genesis where Joseph is like, got his brothers there, right? There's a famine in the land. He saves his brothers. He's got food for all the people. I don't know about you, but I want to turn the page and see what comes next. How many books are there in the Bible? Come on. Every week we're going to study some stuff. We're going to go over it. I want you guys to know the Bible. Pop quiz. How many books in the Bible? 66. Good. How many in the Old Testament? 39. Good guess. Hey, you call it out and you be proud of it. We're in this together. All right. How many books in the Old Testament? 39 plus 27 is 66. Here's an outline of the Old Testament. Karen's going to put up there. So we are in what's called the law. The first five books of the Bible written by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then we'll get to the history, the poetry, the minor prophets and the major prophets. Man, we're on a trek, guys. We are rolling through this. But so many key things happen in Genesis, in Exodus. We're going to kind of skip through Leviticus. But in this series, we start tonight called Promised Land. We're going to look at these three main books, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Let's pray as we jump in. Father, we need you. We are nothing without you. God, thank you that in your great love for us, you decided to not remain silent. And you put your heart on paper for us to to read and for us to just get inside of us so it changes us from the inside out. God, I want my students to just love the Bible. The more we read the Bible, the more we fall in love with you and we see your character. You are loving, you are kind, you are gracious, you are forgiving, you are good. And we're going to open up a story tonight where you zero in on one man in a family and you do something amazing with him. But there's this tension that happens and we want to know because in this story tonight, we're going to read about this man who has questions and he has doubts and we have questions and we have doubts. How could you use us? Why would you use us? There's so many other people that you could use. But God, your character is so beautiful. We see it all throughout the pages of Scripture. The more and more we read it, the more and more we fall in love with you. And we want our lives to align with you and your word and your love. When students are changed forever by the grace of God, through the word of God, through the person of God and the person of himself, Jesus, we're changed forever. So God, would you show us our sin tonight and show us our Savior? In Christ's name I pray. Amen. The promised land. When you guys think about that, when you think of those two words together, what do you think of? Promised land. Do you remember those two words from Genesis? Yes. Do you remember those two? How we unpack that? Yeah. Well, let's kind of week one of this series is called When God Calls from Exodus chapter 3. But we need to go back because those words mean something. We need to go back a little bit and unpack what that means. Genesis, we ran through it in five weeks and it was amazing. But we ended here. Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers. But God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised. There it is. Do you see it? Underline it. Promised and land in the same sentence. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So where do we find ourselves? 
If you flip back, and if you want to, you're welcome to look there. What happens? At the end of Genesis 50, what happens? Joseph dies. Remember? Jacob has died. Isaac has died. Um, man, and, and then we see here is that Joseph dies. And you think, man, what's going on here? You think about all the things that happened with Joseph. Remember his brother selling him into slavery and all that. And it comes full circle. What you intended for evil, God meant for good. He saves his brothers, his entire family. So what's going to happen to him next? What does this book of Exodus mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's what it means. Write, write it down. Exodus means a going out or a departure. Like the road out to get out of somewhere. A going out or a departure. You guys know, if you've studied the Bible before, if you've grown up in church, you know the story of the Exodus. And we're going to get there. God's people in slavery, in captivity, in Egypt, and God raises up a man to go get them out, to, to lead them out of this captivity, of this slavery. But it's an amazing story. And here's the overall theme of the book of Exodus. It's one word, redemption. When you think about the word redemption, man, it should do something inside of you. To redeem something that was once someone else's and now it's lost, I want it back. God says, I want my people back. I want to redeem them. I'm going to buy them back. And remember how we said this gospel thread of God and his love for you and ultimately leads to a cross on a hill called Golgotha where he would kill his own son for you. That gospel thread is what Jesus has redeemed us. But it starts way back in the Old Testament with God screaming, I want my people back. I want to redeem them. You see, Really, if I was to narrow this down, I really left out a blank. There's really two words that summarize this book if you want to write it down. And the other word would be identification. So the two words, redemption and identification are huge because when you redeem something, when you buy it back, you give it a new identity. And when you have a new identity, those that have been redeemed should look different, should live different. They should want to live different. They should worship the one who redeemed them and live in service to him all their days. That's my story. And I pray it's your story. Jesus has redeemed me. God has redeemed me. And he has identified me as his son. And I'm an heir. And Jesus is my king. And I don't mind telling anybody about it. Okay. And I hope you do as well. But what does redemption mean? Quick definition, not on your outline, but on the screen. It means the action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or, error or evil. The action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. You see it there. To, to save something, to be saved from something, regaining or gaining something back. But here's the biblical definition, right? Look on the screen, take a picture of it if you need to. Redemption is the promise of God to deliver us from the power and presence of sin. Redemption has a name and his name is Jesus. All of this in the Old Testament of God getting his people back. We know what happens when we get to the story of Moses and how he leads the people right into the promised land. You guys know the story of the Red Sea is what's going to happen. Moses is a man and he's going to eventually die. So what happens when humans have sin inside of them? That sin is going to continue. You and I have this struggle. So all of this, the Old Testament, God through a man named Moses, who we're going to introduce tonight, you're going to see is that Moses really points us to one that's coming after him. Moses is going to lead the people out. But what happens throughout the whole Old Testament? 
They just continue to rebel against God. They continue to do their own way. And then you have the historical books. And then you have minor prophets and major prophets. And what are the prophets doing? They're shouting out, come back to God. Why? They're speaking on behalf of God because humans are humans. And they what? They just run. They rebel. All of this points to a need for a savior. And his name is Jesus And it's so beautiful that we get to pick up the pages of Scripture tonight. In the next story, the book of Exodus points us to Jesus. All throughout the pages, remember? Every story whispers His name. And we're going to see that tonight. But before we do, okay, it's not on your outline, but buckle your seatbelts. I'm going to read really quickly all of the first chapter of Exodus so you, you get the story painted for you of how God raises up this man named Moses. Ready? Verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. See, guys, here's what you need to understand. Check this out before we keep reading. From the end of Genesis to the start of Exodus, guess how many years have gone by? Almost 400 years have gone by until this happens right? You're going to hear all this and then they're going to be in captivity. They're going to be in slavery for a long, long time. Remember, you, you, we just, just finished the story of Joseph and then it says here, right? All of these brothers live there and then it fast forwards to this piece right here of 400 years where you go, man, what happened? You know God was working, but in the midst of this, guys, watch how God continues to want his people back. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. In time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Guys, check this out. 70 people entered the country. Guess how many at the end of this time? They begin to populate this country, over 2 million Israelites. This is amazing. Next verse. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. You guys remember when Joseph rose to power, right? The king put him in charge. It was like, you're in charge of the food. God's in charge of all this. And what happens? That king dies. So when a new king comes, look what happens. He doesn't remember Joseph. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. They will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. You guys see this? Now they're under oppression. Now they're under slavery. There's so many of them. Look what happens. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar, make bricks, and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shipra and Pura. When you, when you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, there it is, students. Remember we talked about it a couple weeks ago? 
Man, that's amazing right there. These midwives feared God, and look what happens. They refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. Verse 20. So God was good to the midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. There it is again. Verse 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. This sets the stage for a Hebrew couple, a man and a woman to have a baby. And you guys know the story. They have this baby and they fear that what? Somebody's going to find him. So they, they make this little, little raft for him and they put him in this little thing and they lay him in the river. And what happens? You guys know the story. This is Moses that's born. And Moses is put in this little raft and he's put down into the river. And what happens? Pharaoh's daughter comes out and finds the baby in the basket. It's like, oh, I, we just can't let this baby live, die like this. So she brings it, right? And what happens? She grabs one of the, the Hebrew women to come nurse the baby. And who is it in God's sovereignty? It's the mom of Moses. Man, I love that. You see God's love all over this. So she gets to raise the baby. She gets to nurse him. And then at one point she says, all right, I want the baby back. And Moses spends his first 40 years in the palace with Pharaoh. We're going to talk about three groups of 40 years that Moses lives tonight. The first 40, he's got a golden spoon in his mouth, guys. He's living in the palace. All his people are out there making bricks and he's in the palace. God has spared him. He's there. And then you guys know what happens, right? He gets a little bit older. He sees two guys arguing, right? There's somebody's beating up one of the Hebrew people. Remember, Moses is an Israelite. Moses is a Hebrew, but he's being raised by Egyptians. He sees them fighting and he goes, you know what? This can't happen. So he kills the Egyptian guy. And you guys know the story. What happens? He buries him in the sand. He looks to his left. He looks to his right. Doesn't see anybody. Great learning lesson for all of us. You look to your left and you look to your right and you don't see anybody. What should you do? You should look up because almighty God sees everything. He kills this guy, buries him in the sand. And then the next day, next day, he sees a couple guys arguing and they're like, hey, man, you guys shouldn't be doing that. And the one guy says, what are you going to do? You're going to kill us like you did the other Egyptian. And he gets scared and what Pharaoh finds out about it. So he leaves and he goes to all the way on the other side of the Arabian Sea. Like if you look on a map, he goes crazy far. So Moses, first 40 years, golden spoon in his mouth in the palace with Pharaoh. Kills this guy, runs from Pharaoh, runs the next 40 years. Check this out, guys. The complete opposite of being in the palace with Pharaoh. He's a shepherd out in the field, tending to the flocks every single day. You think about that. You think about a contrast. Man, the best schools, eating the best food, all the best clothing for 40 years. Then he kills somebody. Now he's a murderer. And he goes and he runs and he flees. And now he's in the desert. Now he's a shepherd out in the field. And then we pick up the story in chapter 3, which is where we are tonight. Here's your first thing that I want you guys to write down about our friend Moses and about us. Our circumstances can lead to divine callings. Our circumstances can lead to divine callings.
This is not on your outline and it's not on the screen. But before we get to verse 1 of Exodus chapter 3, I want to read the last three verses of chapter 2. After all that has happened, right? Golden spoon, murder, all that different stuff. He runs, he flees. Now look what happens at the, if you have your Bible open, just look up one paragraph. Chapter 2, verse 23. It says, years passed and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and the cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. And boom, you go to the next chapter. Guys, they added chapter and all these different things later in translations. So this would have just read continuously. This would have just read like a story. And man, you see this, and now you want to know what happens with Moses, right? Our circumstances can lead to divine callings. Chapter 3, verse 1. What happens with Moses next? One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. All right, stop. If the bush is on fire and it's not burning up, you better pay attention, right? Something's going on here. All throughout the scripture, when you see fire in the Bible, you can equate that with the presence of God. And when that bush isn't burning up, you better stop and listen. And Moses does that. It says later on that he fell on his face. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called him to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses. How beautiful is that, guys? When, he call, when God calls your name, he knows you by name. He calls Moses by name. And remember, Moses was a murderer. Moses, Moses had ran from God. God had an incredible plan for Moses. He's got an incredible plan for you and for me. When he calls your name, this should be our response. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals. This means like reverence and respect and awe of God. For you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Guys, do you see this? Do you see what's going on right here? In this, this is a divine call on Moses's life. This is incredible. Did you see how it ended? He says, he doesn't even got to what he wants them to do yet. He says, here's your name. I'm going to say your name. And then what? Later, we're going to get to his name. But he reminds him who he is. I'm the God of, remember, everything goes back to what three names? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are like the pillars of the Old Testament. If you look all throughout Genesis, there's four names in that. Isaac, Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph, the one who just passed. He says, I'm the God of those three, and that means I'm also your God. This is personal. This is divine. This is from God. This is pay attention, Moses. Guys, the circumstances in your life are no coincidence. The school you're in, the team you're on, the band that you're a part of, the job that you work at, the city that you live in, the times that you've moved, the times when you heard a no and the times when God said yes to this mission trip or yes, go do this. Guys, all of the things in your life are aligned according to the will of God. Your circumstances lead to these beautiful divine callings. I think about my life. 
Guys, we moved to Eden in 2007 when my Mallory Jane was three months old, right? I was a school teacher and I was back in school to get a second master's degree. I had gotten my school degree. I was teaching and I said, you know what? Somebody spoke something over me one day. Here's what they said. They looked me right in the eye and they said, you'd be an incredible school administrator. You're great with people. The students love you. And I was like, man, let's go back to school. Let's keep going. And my wife was like, are you serious? You're going back to school again, right? We've got two young kids and went home, right? But I just have the most amazing wife. She was like, this is your calling. Go. So fast forward a couple years, right? 2010, I graduated with my second degree to be a school administrator somewhere in this county. And Pastor Steve stopped me one day. And we had just been coming to church here for maybe six, eight months. And he said, hey, tell me your story something different about you. People are drawn to you. I was a school teacher, so I had the summers off. I would bring Matthew and Mallory over in a wagon. We lived right across the street. I would walk them in a wagon, and we would go in the clubhouse and play. He said, tell me your story. So we sat down, and I told him my story, and he said this to me. He said, have you ever thought about full-time ministry? I said, no, I never have. I mean, I just thought that was just pastors and church leaders, and that's what they did. And he said, there's something different about you. Would you consider praying? Would you go home to Tracy and pray? We've got some positions coming up at this church. And I remember I went home and I, I, I looked at Tracy and I told her, I said, hey, we need to pray about this. She said, you've just been to school for four years, right? She's my best friend. She's going to shoot me straight. And I said, I know, but I feel something different. I feel like God's calling me to something more. I love my ministry in the schools, but I feel like there's a different calling on my life now. And we prayed. And man, about three months later, I was on the staff and I just started my 13th year here on this staff. The most incredible 13 years of my life. Do you see how all of those circumstances that led me to that conversation with Pastor Steve led me to a divine calling to do something different with my life? And I have the most incredible job to be able to teach you guys the Bible every single week, go on mission with you, love you, go to your ball games, show up at the hardest times, show up at your dances, show up at your proms, be there when someone has passed away. It's the joy of my life to be your pastor. It's a divine calling. But my question to you is what's your divine calling? Where does God have you right now? You don't have to look at the pastors and say, that's for them to do the work. No, God has called you. Where does God have you right now? Your school, your job, your team. God wants to use you right here, right now. Look at your circumstances and go, you know what? What did I brush off as that was just coincidence? No, God has you exactly where he wants you. Why? So that more people will worship him and love him. That's your call on your life. Number two, write this down. Our afflictions are seen by a God who cares. Our afflictions are seen by a God who cares cares. Get your pen ready because God is going to show you his character and his great love for you all over these five verses. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people. Underline it. God sees his people when they're going through hard things. Next sentence. I have heard their cries. He hears your cries. When you cry out to him in the middle of your distress, whatever is going on in your life, he heard the cry of the Israelites. He hears your cry in Rockingham County today. The cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. He's aware of your suffering too. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt, Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. There it is. 
It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, termites, got to be in there somewhere, now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. Guys, underline it, star it. Your cries reach the ear of God. And I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. God sees everything. He is a God of justice. He will not let anything go unpunished. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. This is what this is the call on Moses's life. Go, you must lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses protested. Guys, you ever been there? I've been there. I asked it, right? Tracy and I asked it in that conversation. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to go into full-time ministry? I, I, my, my hardest class when I was in college was public speaking. And God says, I want you to go speak my word, the Holy Bible, and I want you to teach it to people and I want you to speak it to people. I had questions too. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Moses is like, man, I was in the palace, but I've been a shepherd for 40 years. Who am I? God answered. Here it is, guys. I will be with you. The power doesn't come from you. The power comes from God. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. If you trace the story going forward, what happens? They come back and they worship God on that same mountain. Guys, how amazing is this? Our afflictions are seen by a God who cares. What are you going through right now? What's hard in your life right now? God sees, God hears, God knows you are not alone. He is not silent. He is not passive. He is watching. He loves you. He's crazy about you. He heard the cries of the Israelites thousands of years ago, and he hears your cries today. Believe me. Tracy and I could go, we could line up our cries that we've cried out. I look at my two children loving Jesus and walking with God. We have cried. We have prayed for that. My wife having cancer on our knees, crying out to Almighty God to save her. And she's cancer free. Go out this room and talk to your small group leaders when you go to small group tonight. They will tell you story after story of God hearing their cries and his faithfulness. Guys, you are not alone. God is with you. He loves you. He cares about you. And look what Moses does. In the middle of this call, he turns inward and he goes, it's about me. It's about my power. It's, it's my speech. Remember, we find out later that he kind of has like a stuttering problem and he thinks that he's not going to be able to speak to the people. They're not going to listen to me. He goes inward and God says, no, look at me. He says, remember who I am. When I call you, right? He doesn't call the equipped. He what? He equips the called. So when he calls you to something, he gives you the power. He gives you the grace. He gives you the talent to do everything. You ask any of your small group leaders tonight, the job they're working in now, the power and the talents and the gifts and abilities, guys, all of them will tell you. They all come from our almighty God. And it might have been what they thought in high school. It might have been what they thought in college. But some of them, I guarantee you, are doing completely different things in their life right now because God called them to something different. And he equips them to do it. And he'll equip you too. write this down. Our fears are calmed by the creator of the universe. Our fears are calmed by the creator of the universe. Remember, now we hear Moses and he's like, I can't do this. They're not going to listen to me. Who am I? Verse 13. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? I love this, man. Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. 
Guys, this is like the most beautiful description of God. It's the word. It's one word, right? It's Yahweh, which means Lord. I am who I am. Not I was who I was. I am who I am. I'm the same for Abraham. I'm the same for Isaac. I'm the same for Kevin. I'm the same for Chris. I'm the same for Kieran. I'm the same for Christina. I'm the same God who took the people out of slavery in Egypt. And he's the same God who hears your, pri- your cries tonight. Praise be to God. I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name. He's the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. His name is eternal. My name to remember for all generations. Guys, this is amazing. Here's your application for tonight. Simple. When God calls us, we must respond with obedience. You know the story of Moses. He has these questions, but when God turns it to him and the power comes from him and he's Yahweh and he's God Almighty and he's eternal, he's been faithful for generations. He's going to continue to be faithful. What do you and I do? We put one foot forward and we walk forward in obedience. And Moses says, let's go. Look at this quote from D.L. Moody. Man, I love this. Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody with the golden spoon. 40 years learning he was nobody in the wilderness and 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. How amazing is that? Praise be to God. KB's just what? I'm just a nobody who knows somebody trying to tell everybody. What does that song say? I don't know. I can't even sing it. But every time I hear it, I go, that's my story, right? Trying to tell everybody about somebody who loves you and came after you. That's my story and that's your story. Guys, I'm going to read something that's really, really long right now, but I want you to focus. It's, not, it's going to be on the screen, and it's going to be not on your outline. But when you think of the promised land, I want you to think of this. Remember that Bible Project video I showed you a couple weeks ago? This is from the writers of the Bible Project. On the cross, Jesus fully identifies with our experience of exile and then suffers in our place, dying and rising from the dead to inherit the world and bring humanity back into the promised land. Now, those who identify with Jesus through faith and repentance are brought into the presence of God once again and given the world as our inheritance, led by Jesus, the new Adam, into the new Eden. The redemptive purposes of God that began with Israel in their promised land find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, the offspring of Abraham who possesses the world. Through our union with Jesus, we too possess Abraham's inheritance. In the Great Commission, Jesus tells his followers that all authority has been given to him, and that he sends them into all the earth with that authority to proclaim the gospel and make disciples of all nations. Today, followers of Jesus continue to go to the ends of the earth to spread the gospel, proclaiming repentance and forgiveness of sins. We create little pockets of the promised land. You see that? How beautiful is that? Right here at Collide, when you go to Baltimore, when you're in Columbus, when you're in Costa Rica, at your school, you create little pockets of the promised land as we gather together as God's covenant community to experience his power and presence. This covenant community is a diverse, multi-ethnic people from every nation, tribe, and tongue who live together under the rule and reign of King Jesus. Though co-heirs with Jesus now, we eagerly await the final day of redemption where we will dwell permanently in the presence of God in a renewed garden paradise, unhindered by sin or suffering. I don't know about y'all, but I can't wait. 
The land that was received and lost by Adam and Eve and by Israel surely pointed to this land. But the recreated land will supersede the garden in Canaan in every way. After all, we will see Jesus face to face and walk in unbroken intimacy with him and his people in the perfect covenantal faithfulness. Guys, when you think of promised land, look at me. Yes, it's a physical place in the Bible, but the promised land is a metaphor for your relationship with God. God is preparing a promised land for you, and that's a place that sin can never touch. It's going to be perfect, and I can't wait to get there. Heaven awaits all of us. My wife, Tracy, lost her uncle yesterday to terrible disease called Alzheimer's, and it's just terrible. We saw this man go from, man, vibrant man, incredible guy, to the last couple of weeks of his life were just so, so hard. And here's what his wife said the other day as they sang praises in the hospice house. Is he loved Jesus, so I know where he's going. He's going home. He's going to be with Jesus. He's going to the promised land. Guys, when you think about promised land, you should think about Jesus. I want to go be with Jesus, like Paul said, right? I want to stay here and tell as many people as I can about Jesus, but ultimately my heart longs to be home. This world is not KB's home, and this world is not your home. You see brokenness all around you, and what do you get to do? What did that just say? The call of God is on your life, and you get to set up these little pockets of promised land everywhere you go. And you point people to a place where sin can never touch, where we'll see our Savior face to face. So teenager, you look at me. I know what you're saying. KB, this sounds great for pastors and for adults. What about me? I'm glad you asked. Take a picture of this list on the screen. This will blow you away. This is the call of God to love him, to serve him, to worship him, to tell of him, to be led by him, to love others in him, to obey him, to spend time with him, to pray to him, to pursue holiness because of him, to give lordship to him, to put your faith and trust in him and to live with him forever. Does that make our hands idle? Does that mean we have nothing to do, teenager? You've got work to do. And God's got an incredible plan for your life. And he wants to use you now. And he wants you to do all of those things. If you look around your life and you say, man, it looks like they're having fun. And it looks like this or that. Guess what? If, if, if there's sin and brokenness around you, they need the light of Jesus. They need people authentically living that out. Because something's going to happen in their life. And who are they going to come to? They're going to come to those who know Jesus. So every day you love him, you serve him, you obey him, and you do it, Romans 1.16, unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ as you await your promised land until you get there. Moses did it, you and I can do it. Who is on the other side of your obedience? Here's your question as you go to small group. Who is someone in your life that needs to know Jesus that you could begin to build an intentional relationship with? The call of God on your life. Love him, serve him, tell others about him, worship him until he calls you home. We've got work to do. Who in your life needs to hear the name of Jesus? What's the worst thing they say to you? Get away from me. I love you. Hey, friend, give him a hug and brush your shoes off and go on to the next person. Okay? Let's go, students. We got work to do. I believe in this generation. I love you. You got 30 small group leaders in this room that love you, that are going to challenge you to do this. This can be done. But guess what? Look at me. Not on your strength. The strength of what? I am who I am. Yahweh inside of you, through you. Moses did it. You can do it too. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your great love for us. The call of God is an amazing thing to think about that you would use 
a broken, arrogant, prideful man like Kevin Bedard and turn him into a son, turn him into a saint, and turn him into a servant. You are my Lord and I will serve you all my days until I get to my promised land. God, I pray every teenager on the sound of my voice knows that their promised land is you. The promised land is Jesus. And we're going to get to you one day. But until that day, we want to love him and serve him and worship him and be led by him, and obey him and spend time with him and pray to him and give lordship to him. And then at the end of our days, when he calls us home, we'll get to live with him and be with him forever in our promised land. But until then, we look at the call of a guy named Moses, who many people probably rode off and was washed up. And he just said, God said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am, Lord. Whatever you need me to do, I am the Lord's servant. Father, would you speak through our small group leaders now as they talk to the students about divine appointments, divine callings on their life, and how God hears the cries of his people, and how when we think about all of these different things, the power comes from you. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. A promised land awaits. But until then, we want to set, set up and build little pockets of the promised land on this side of heaven until God calls us home. Speak through our small group leaders now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.